It's Monday, December 4th, 2017, and you're listening to The Lit Review, a literary podcast for the movement. My name is Monica Trinidad, here with my co-host Paige May. Before we dive into episode 36, we're excited to announce that we at The Lit Review Podcast now have two sponsors. This podcast is now sponsored by the Critical Studies MA program at the Pacific Northwest College of Art. Because we need to talk, read, interrogate, intervene, and reimagine like never before. For more information or to apply, visit pnca.edu. And as always, special shout out to our first sponsor, the ARCA Center for Social Justice Leadership, an initiative out of Kalamazoo College whose mission is to develop and sustain leaders in human rights and social justice through education and capacity building. In this episode, we'll be speaking with playwright and ceramic artist Tanuja Jagannath. Tanuja believes in the necessity of creation during times of destruction. And we'll be talking about the anthology Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction Stories from Social Justice Movements, co-edited by Adrian Marie Brown and Walida Imarisha in 2015, which includes stories by Alexis Pauline Gums, Autumn Brown, Mia Mingus, Mumia Abu-Jamal, and many more. to another episode of the lit review uh it's Paige here with monica hey how you doing hey we are cozy in monica's apartment on this way too cold and there's snow on the ground day but i'm very excited because it's warm in here and we're talking about another octavia butler related book i'm super excited the book of today is octavia's brood it's uh at octavia's brood science fiction stories from social justice movements and it's an anthology that was edited by adrian marie brown who you may remember from a couple episodes ago and walida imarisha and it's a really the way that it's written and who wrote it is really really fascinating i'm excited to just talk about how this book was put together and I'm really excited that we're talking with our dear friend and incredible facilitator, an amazing person who you hear all about in a second, Tanuja. Hey, welcome to the Lit Review. Hi, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, who are you, what do you do, and why, and what are these things, these little monster (laughs) finger puppet things that we're looking at? Absolutely. Um, I'll start with the monsters. Um, So um, I am a writer. That's one thing that I do. Um, And uh, anyone who's listening to this who writes knows that um, sometimes we get stuck. And, um, And we hear all these just voices, the ones that are not welcome. And so um, this wonderful teacher that I'm studying with right now, her name is Dana Lynn Formby. She's a brilliant playwright um, and just a brilliant person in the world. Hi, Dana. Um, So one day in class, she was like, okay, you know how you have that monster on your shoulder that is telling you all kinds of nasty things? You need to tell that monster, hey, go eat some chips. (laughs) And I found that so hilarious. I was like, Oh my God! I have to, I have to make this a thing, and I have to externalize it. And so I happened to have one of these finger puppets that was given to me by Jen Curley. Shout out to Jen Curley! Um, and I literally like put it on my shoulder when I'm having those moments, and I, I'm like, "Hey, monster, what do you got to tell me?" And the monster's like, "Yeah, what the fuck are you doing?" And I go, "Go eat some chips." <laughs> <laughs> and so. That is so real. I have so many <laughs> monsters. I need I need like 
I need like 10 of them. <laughs> you can get 10 of them. Um, they, you can find them online. They are very affordable. <laughs> so, so I bought a bunch because um, part of my work right now, I'm, I'm working at a theater. I'm working at Chicago Dramatists, and I get to support um, fellow students who are trying to um, put their stories into 3D um, as plays, as um, also screenplays, and... Um, so many people, especially people who are new to this, are struggling with, like, is this for me? Can I do this? And that actually ties into um, the book mm. a lot, and cultural workers and organizers and anyone who's, who's asking themselves, like, um, can I do this? Is this for me? Do I have a role in this? And the answer is, heck yeah, you do. Um, so anyway, so I'm like, how can I support people to feel like... Yes, you can do this. I want to honor where I come from. Um, I am the daughter of Sarojini Jagarnath. I am the daughter of Ramesh Jagarnath. Um, I use she, her, they pronouns. Um, I am the sister of Naresh Jagarnath. I am the sister-in-law of Rebecca Jagarnath. I am the partner of James Daly. Um, I'm a proud auntie to Robbie and Ari. <clears throat> and um, apart from that, I, I definitely would say I feel like a shape-shifting wildflower. Um, I am a doer. That is what I can tell you. I can, I'm a doer. I'm a Cancer Gemini cusp person. Um, Taurus moon, Virgo rising, which Ooh. explains that. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what Tanusha was referring to is that... Tanusha came with a straight-up index of words from Octavia's Brood that like, we can go with through. With the page reference. With the page reference. Like, a straight-up index, like the part of the book that I'm on. That is some I Virgo have. shit. Yeah. And I, I appreciate I'm it. so appreciate it. <laughs> bring this home. It'll help us focus our conversation a little bit. Um, um, I'm learning how to write plays. I, I make ceramics. Um, I'm learning how to be a dramaturg. Um, I have these office administrative skills, and I, I think I'm just fascinated right now by the idea of transferable skills. And, you know, like in one realm, you're a producer. In another realm, you're an organizer, but similar skills, right? So I feel like <clears throat> we could talk more about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then one of my very favorite things to do is make playlists on Spotify and mm -hmm. listen to them and walk around and take pictures. Ooh, I like that. That's cute. I'm going to have to find your Spotify playlists. <laughs> um, so, all right, let's get into the book. Um, I, when I, I have not read this book. Um, I feel like that's a common theme in the Lit Review podcast is I'm like, I have not read this book. That's why we're doing the podcast. Um, but the one thing that I always hear about this book is that it's visionary fiction, right? Mm -hmm. So what is this book about and what is visionary fiction? Yes. All right. So <clears throat> visionary fiction is the term that Walida E. Marisha and Adrienne Marie Brown developed. I'm just going to read from the book. To distinguish science fiction that has relevance toward building new, freer worlds from the mainstream strain of science fiction, which most often reinforces dominant narratives of power. Um, so in, visionary fiction encompasses all of the fantastic with the arc always bending toward justice. Um, <clears throat> they believe that this space is vital for any process of decolonization because the decolonization of the imagination is the most dangerous and subversive form there is. 
4. It is where all other forms of decolonization are born. Once the imagination is unshackled, liberation is limitless. Um, and so Walida and, um, and Adrienne say, like, all organizing is science fiction. Um, and I think that idea is so powerful. Um, and the thing that, that brought me to this book was just that idea was like, oh, right. Um, we need to be thinking about building things that don't exist yet. And we need to be thinking about building things that we may not end up experiencing one day. Um, we're always pushing toward that thing or mm, maybe <clears throat> creating tools so that other people can build that thing later, right? Or we build a thing that is flawed, that someone can improve upon to build the thing that is the thing. So you know what I'm saying? So um, um, always pushing toward um, that which we don't think is possible. And I think that that is, is so exciting, so exciting, right? Like, and when we talk about prison abolition, you know, literally we mean we don't want prisons anymore. We want everyone out. We don't want to put anyone else in them anymore. And that uh, is sometimes such a challenging idea, but it's like, no, we're building toward that. Like, let's, that's literally what we want. So, so anytime we have a conversation about that thing as reality, that is science fiction. Um, <clears throat> and so the, the thing that is so compelling to me about this kind of book is that it helps us to activate that kind of visionary imagination. Because um, let's just keep it real. Like, the day-to-day -day is a grind. The day-to-day -day of most organizers um, and anyone who works in the nonprofit industrial complex, such as myself, I work at two nonprofits now, never thought I would, but here I am. Life is awesome. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It, life is um, so awesome. Um, and it's full of unexpected twists and turns, and I, I'm here for that. Um, but anywho, life is grind, right? Um, lots of people have muggle jobs. Lots of people have just like that job that is not your actual calling or what have you, but you have to pay your bills and you do movement work on the side. You do movement work at night. You do movement work at 5 a.m. before you go to your muggle job or you, you do movement work on the weekend. Um, um, that's the majority, right? Like most people are not professional organizers and activists, right? Not, most people are not paid to do this. So, so given that reality of the exhaustion, given that reality of, you know, oh shit, now we're in another accountability process with another person who, you know, has done harm or, oh, I've done harm and now I've got to, to move in and take accountability, like that's, that's hard work, right? Necessary work, transformative work, and um, it can be a grind. So um, anthologies like this are, to me, opportunities to, to reflect, to look into a mirror, and to flex that radical imagination, um, that muscle that um, gets atrophied over time.
Can you say a little bit more about uh, who are the authors? Because I think that's a really mm. interesting piece of this. Um, it's a mix of people that maybe you would expect in this anthology and also a bunch of folks that maybe you wouldn't. Um, and, and so can you talk about the design of it and how it was put together? I don't know so much about how it was put together. Mm. Um, but when I look at the authors of this, right, let's just run down the line. We've got um, Sheree Renee Thomas, sci-fi legend. Um, we've also got LeVar Burton, okay? Um, I grew up on reading Rainbow. And um, mm. so actually I was having lots of feelings about talking about a book that LeVar Burton is in, um, just because I'm like trying to tell people to read it. But don't take my word for it. Anyway, so um, <laughs> LeVar Burton. We've got um, also um, Mumia Abu-Jamal, right? We've got um, Alexa Garcia. We've got Autumn Brown. We've got Morgan Phillips. We've got um, Alexis Pauline Gum. Um, you know what I mean? Um, we've got Bao um, Fee. I'm not saying your name right. I'm sorry, Bao. Um, we've got Gabriel Teodros. Um, like, these people are cultural workers, they're organizers, um, they are writers, um, they are poets, Tara, Tara Betts, um, shoot, scholars, like, they're coming from all these different directions, right? And I actually think that all of them would be amazing to sit down with and be like, what is your experience with organizing? Um, what leads you to writing, um, I anyway, they're brilliant people. They're brilliant. They're they're brilliant people. And what I love about this anthology is that Walida and and Adrian were so smart in choosing people from different realms to contribute to this one thing, right? And so um, to me, that leads into the poetry of how an anthology is created and why I I just love anthologies as a form. Um, you know, we, it connects to facilitation. It connects to consensus process. Can I talk about that a little bit? Please. Is that yeah. cool? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we're in a meeting. We have all these people in the room. Maybe we're in a circle, right? Um, and, you know, Adrian said something in the last episode about how do we create a space where um, everyone can be a part of it without having anyone be an other, right? <clears throat> in this anthology, right, or in any anthology, there is no other. Everyone is a contributor, right? Everyone has a valued contribution and a valued voice in this. Um, and yes, when you read it, you will not connect with each and every story. Um, and my humble opinion about it is that even the stories or the essays that you don't connect with, stay with it um, and look for the thing that um, is a mirror for something that you are experiencing. So, um, you know, I've read this book three times and each and every time I find something in a story that I didn't see before and I find something new that I wasn't tapped into at the you know, the previous time that I read it. Um, um, and I think we can do that with people. I think we can do that in our meetings. I think we can and should do that with people in our meetings. Yeah. Um, if we're trying to 
strengthen that consensus building muscle. So I want to get back to the piece you were talking about with a radical, radical imagination, right? Um, and I really loved, like, I think Paige and I both loved when you said, to, you know, reading this book means it's an opportunity to flex the muscles of the radical imagination. And I was like, damn. And I, we were both just, like, silent. Um, and I really want to get into that. Like, what, According to this book, according to Octavia Butler, what is the radical imagination that we often refer to? Um, and then also, in your opinion, what, how do you see the radical imagination being... Um, um, presented or being practiced in Chicago, for example? Ooh, I love that. I love that. Um, <clears throat> so my personal take on radical imagination, um, you know, you think of the, the, the word radical coming of the root, of the root, at the roots, emerging from roots, um, and then you think of imagination, right? And um, I'm going to do something with my hands. So you're, you're here at your root, right, um, center of gravity. Um, I think of this space between um, your, your hips, right, a few inches below your belly button. Um, um, it's the part that is seated in the chair right now, right? Um, imagination takes me to the top of my head. And to me... Um, when I think of radical imagination, I can, I'm in both places at the same time. Um, that is not comfortable. That is ridiculously uncomfortable because when I connect both of those spaces, I connect everything in between. And there is so much going on in between um, heart, viscera, bowels. Um, and all that stuff is so important, so necessary, so relevant and valid. Um, um, and so this book has all of that, actually. It has all of it. It has grief. It has loss. It has, I tried to do a thing, and it didn't go well. And now I've got to decide, am I still going to do that thing? Um, it has, um, I don't know if I'm equipped to do that thing. Um, what am I going to do? Um, it has, um, mm, I did the thing. The thing turned out to be fucked up. Um, I'm outie. Oh, shit. But somebody really valued that thing, and they're reflecting that value back to me. Can I handle that? Um, this also has, I'm taking us through the book. Um, it also has, um, someone did a fucked up thing, and someone is saying, I'm prepared to forgive you. Can you accept that forgiveness? How does that feel to you? Um, it's uncomfortable. Um, it's got, yes, um, the experience of I desperately want to bring you all into an experience that will liberate you and liberate all of us, and they get massive pushback on that. Like. This book is so important for the organizer to read mm -hmm. <laughs> because you will see yourself in it. Mm. Um, and it will activate the viscera, mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the, the feels. That is my hunch. The way that I see radical imagination being practiced in Chicago um, is through all of the projects that, um, in my opinion, are allowing people to bring their full selves into the room and to do great, powerful, awesome things. So an example is Asada's Daughters. Um, example is for the People's Art Collective, for sure. Um, people are flexing 
you know, these tools that um, unlock, right, potential imagination. Um, and, you know, these projects are built in, with humanity, fun. You can bring so many people into these spaces. Um, the way that I see family being a part of these spaces, um, intergener intergenerational practice as part of the space. So I see like Chicago Freedom School doing a really good job at that. Um, anytime I see um, actions that are planned by Kelly Hayes or Miriam Kaba, when I see, you know, we've got an action that is calling for prison abolition, something that is um, what we deeply, deeply want and we're not there yet, but it also brings in, um, again, intergenerational practice, art, um, food, it's fun. Um, um, so that's, that's, that's what I see that is, that feels like, you know, radical imagination. When you leave those spaces, you feel activated. You feel mm. like, mm, more possibilities mm -hmm. than you felt maybe coming into the space, mm -hmm. right? So this book is challenging to summarize, and I think you've already done a beautiful job of laying out sort of what um, some of the questions or like uh, scenarios that you might find yourself in. But can you say more about what are some of the stories or other themes that you mm -hmm. uh, go through in this book? Yes. Um, so the the anthology actually kicks off with Revolution Shuffle by Balfi, and um, in that one. There are two comrades, basically, they're up on a hill, um, and they are challenged with, um, their people are down in the camps, um, and they have to decide, are they going to take action on that or not? Um, the token superhero, David F. Walker, um, tells a story of um, a person who's born a superhero. They join up with um, something called Teen Justice Force, um, and that, um, becomes an experience that is that ends up being harmful to the protagonist. Um, and so that person has to grapple with um, what his legacy is going to be as a superhero. Um, the River by Adrian Marie Brown um, basically takes us to swiftly gentrifying Detroit. Mm -hmm. And we hear the story of a person who uh, traverses the river on a boat. And we learn that the river is not just a passive witness to the gentrification, but the river has um, its own point of view and the river um, is its own character. I don't want to spoil anything. Um, in Evidence by Alexis Pauline Gum, we get a, a nonlinear structure, which I think is so valuable to study and observe as organizers, right? Um, so in that we see uh, prefigurative politics where it's let's vision the world that we want. Um, so Alexis is practicing it in that piece. Um, and so, so in that piece, somebody is um, from the future is writing to their past self and describing what it was that we won and did. Mm. Um, in Black Angel by Walida, um, we see a fallen angel um, seeking redemption, but without the grace of God. Okay, so if you're a spiritual anti-authoritarian like myself, 
That's What's Up. Um, the Long Memory uh, by Morgan Phillips. So there are these people who are called memorials and they can tap into um, all the memories of all time. Um, and because of that, um, you know, I think about historians, but they are a threat. They are such a threat to the, the um, establishment. And um, so they become detained. And in there, she does such a good job of painting the picture of they are never going to get out of this. Um, how can they? Okay. Um, Small and Bright by Autumn Brown. Um, it's this is an interesting, really beautiful one, especially to read in the winter, I would say, um, <laughs> because there are these people who live underground, and um, one of them has been deemed unworthy and needs to go. Um, this person is exiled, and they find a way, uh, with the help of her mom, to turn the exile into um, escape and liberation. Um, in Spite of Darkness, that's by Alexa Garcia. Um, that one I think is such a beautiful meditation on light, um, on seeking, on search, um, and on family. Then we get to Hollow um, by Mia Mingus. Oh my lord. <laughs> God, there's so much good stuff in this book. I think that's why I'm like talking in the broader terms because I um, each story we could actually spend an hour on, mm -hmm. right? Anywho, okay, so yeah, in Hollow, we've got this setup where there are perfects and there are unperfects, and the unperfects have basically built the world that they need, um, 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 rooted in disability justice, rooted in um, our bodies are just as they are, and they are effective and capable and beautiful, and they become they learn that a threat is coming and they've got to decide what they're gonna do in the face of that threat um, and really grapple with the heartache of potentially having to, to move on. Um, I'm not, I don't wanna tell you the end of it, but <laughs> anywho, Lalibella, Gabriel Teodros, so beautiful. This one is, you know, Afrofuturism completely. We, we have tech, we have bees, we have dragons, we have time travel. Anywho, so in this one, um, there is, um, Lalibella is the main character, and they learn that, Lalibella is poisoned, basically, and in um, the stupor of being poisoned, they have some visions and they wake up and they're like, I know what I need to do. And so when they wake up, they start um, taking action. I'm gonna just say that. Um, based on the visions, um, Lalibella goes through a whole sort of journey and ends up um, meeting his future and our collective future. Okay. Um, then there's Little Brown Mouse. This one, this is one of the ones that I had to read a couple times and was like, oh, snap. Um, I didn't get it the first time, but I got more from it the second time I read it. Um, in this one, Little Brown Mouse, um, Thomas is basically, again, faced with what he needs to do, um, faced with something that he's been um, avoiding doing for a long time. Um, he has to learn to embrace a part of himself that he's been denying. 
Then we go to Sanford and Son. Um, this one is incredible because it brings together, um, <laughs> it's written in the format of a screenplay, and we see um, characters from like, the TV show, Sanford and Son, meets Sun Ra. Okay, so pop culture cool. meets Afrofuturism, <laughs> and it's it's delightful, and um, you know it's just really beautiful, and it has some deep ass shit in it. You know how there's like fiction for like <laughs> gardeners, and there's fiction for like people that like erotica. This is like fiction for organizers, yeah. and I just realized that, and it's so beautiful. And now I finally like understand what visionary fiction is. So thank you for okay. like really just like nailing it. Um, I wanna because we're running short on oh, time. Yeah, yeah. I wanna um, and I don't wanna like spoil the whole book for everybody. Um, but I I do wanna build off the conversation yep. with Adrian a little bit. Um, and I wanna really talk about. How, how important it is to look more towards people who don't identify as organizers, right? Um, you know, and something that I've been thinking about a lot is like if we're, not, if we're not really reaching and talking to people that are outside of our little organizer bubbles, then we're not doing the work right, right? And so like how can we look towards people like our parents and like people like our next door neighbors or people that are just uh, poets, writers, um, not just, but you know what I mean. Um, and, and like, how can we look towards those people, um, for guidance and for, and for their knowledge and experience Mm -hmm. to utilize uh, in our organizing spaces? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, to be just literal about it, like go to different spaces and listen, Mm -hmm. right? Show up, um, change your range of motion. Um, so one of the things I wanted to tell you all is, you know, the, the thing that brought me to this book was I was so ready to change my range of motion. And what I mean by that is, you know, um, I was in a situation work-wise and life-wise where I'd gotten pretty comfortable, like, mm-hmm. you know, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting up. And this book came around and was like, you could try a back bend and I was like what (laughs) like why why would I do that um anyways and like this book came out a year before I closed um Sage Community Health Collective um it's important to say because books like this um and especially this one definitely um made me feel like there is more possible there's more needed from you than you are challenging yourself to do. Um, so anywho, uh, I have personally been changing my range of motion and it's been definitely challenging, but in that I've been able to meet a lot of people who I never would have met before and they have tools like the monster, right? Basically saying like, um, to bring more people in, we need to go out of our normal bubbles. Right. But then also like um, the thing about this book. So uh, there are a few things I wanted to say, like, why should organizers read this book? Um, So one, it's definitely a container for imagination practice. Right. So it's going to take you um, to space. It's going to take you on a journey with Sun Ra. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Go there. Right. Challenge yourself to imagine yourself on a mountain and all of your people are down in the camps what would you do would you actually go down there um and fight zombies um why or why not what's up with that um reading this anthology is like facilitating a meeting um you you can give yourself that opportunity to do a listening practice when you read 
stories like this, um, I think the mind can wander. And I wanted to say that's not always a bad thing. So I would say read this with a notebook next to you because I think it's meant to be generative. I think all reading is generative. Um, um, anytime I read something, I'm like, ooh, I need to read another thing about that thing. So anyway, mm -hmm. so this is another book that's going to be generative because each and every author in here has a whole other body of work that we all should be reading and studying. So um, anyway, think about that. Um, if your mind has been caught by something, um, write it down and follow that thread because it's speaking to you. It's speaking to something maybe in you that is, is, is needing attention. Um, I say read this book for affirmation. Um, you may see folks in this book struggling with things that are familiar to you. Um, there's so many opportunities in this book to admit that you don't know something. Um, um, I love, you know, Shira Hassan always says that, you know, curiosity and judgment cannot live in the same place. And so it's, um, I think, a great opportunity to get curious and practice being curious. Um, yeah. Um, there are so many moments in this book where we get to um, embrace limitations while exercising our visionary radical imagination. And it's all in the same space. I remember when I read this, um, it made me not only want to read more, I, I, I was going through a sort of like uh, Afrofuturism kick, and this book was really encouraging and made me want to read more science fiction um, and more um, uh, speculative fiction, but also it made me want to write. Uh, and I think that's interesting, right? Because yes. again, it has a lot of folks, some, some of them are, I know them as writers, and a lot of people, I don't know them, especially as sort of like uh, fiction writers. I don't know them in that capacity. And, mm -hmm. and that was really, I think, interesting and, and made me think about the importance of not only reading as practice, but writing mm -hmm. as well. And, and it doesn't always have to look like, mm -hmm. you know, writing an essay. Mm -hmm. uh, so, or like a Facebook post. Um, so I'm wondering if you can talk through what are, um, what are other ways that we can practice, or how do we facilitate radical imagination? Mm -hmm. You've talked a lot about mm -hmm. you know, your work as a facilitator, and that's something that I, I'm hearing more and more as people mm -hmm. identifying themselves as facilitators within the movement, which I think is interesting, and as consensus builders, because that, I mean, you know, community organizers, first and foremost, you have to build a community, mm -hmm. right? Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so can you talk more about <laughs> what that looks like, uh, it, both lessons of this book, but also in general? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's get back to the viscera then, right? Mm -hmm. um, all right, I was telling you one of my favorite things is to listen to music and walk around and take pictures. Um, that has become a practice. I kind of do it every day, um, but two years ago, I wasn't doing this. Um, two years ago in November, yeah, this month, no, uh, November 3rd, um, my dear best oldest Chicago friend Pam died um, and the way that I could communicate at that time um, with her partner um, was through Instagram basically and um, you know because I would look at Instagram and kind of like look at his photos and that inspired me to start taking my own photos and um, I noticed at that time you know in a moment of grief right so this is why I'm bringing up viscera um, uh, I was deeply grieving my dear best friend and, you know, in our culture, we just don't have 
practices that bring friends into the close grieving circle. So I was grieving on my own. Um, and what I would do, like I realized I was looking for Pam everywhere. I was looking, I, I was like, where are you? Like, where are you now? What do I even believe about what happens when people die? Um, and I, I was just walking around. I would just take walks. Um, I'd be feeling um, stuck, um, uh, really heavy, um, feeling low, um, and just uh, a bit frozen. And I would realize, as an acupuncturist at that time, you know, okay, try and get it moving. Um, so walking was a accessible practice. Um, and so I'd walk around and I would make myself look for something beautiful or that something that made me think of Pam. And when I found that thing, I would take a photo. Good or bad, didn't matter. Just take the goddamn photo. So, um, and it shifted something. It shifted something. I was no longer stuck here, but I was here. And um, sometimes, yes, that would come with sadness and tears, and it would come with overwhelming feelings. Um, but, you know, a part of me knew, okay, this is a necessary shift. Um, saying all this to say, I've been doing it for two years, and now it's become just what I do. Um, put on some music, walk around, and now I don't have to actively look for something beautiful. As I'm walking, stuff jumps out. It's like, oh, hello. I will embrace you with a picture. Um, so what am I saying? So it, I feel like we want to be in the radical imagination all the time. We want to get there now. We want to get there yesterday. Um, and I just feel like we have to build practices that help us move from here or wherever we're stuck through the viscera to get here, mm -hmm. right? Some of us are constantly here, and I'm pointing to my head. head, yeah. <laughs> top of my head. Uh, we don't spend a lot of time in our center of gravity, in our bodies. Um, so what does it look like to root a little bit and move through the viscera? Mm -hmm. So... Um, saying all that to say, I feel like it's going to be different for everybody, like yeah. those tools. And I feel like that's one of the things that um, is so important to me um, as a harm reductionist, as somebody who values trauma-informed practice, uh, somebody who values body positivity. Is like your methods of activating radical imagination are going to be different from Monica's um, and from mine. Mm -hmm. This playlist thing, taking pictures on Instagram may not be for anybody else, but guess what? You know, when I'm feeling like the grind of the world, um, it's a, it's a transformative practice for me, right? When I'm feeling like I can't write, I'm a shitty ass writer. I should just go get a job and <laughs> stop, uh, externalizing that, those voices with a monster that I can talk to. And it's, it, it's ridiculous. It makes me laugh, and it makes me realize I am repeating narratives that are just fundamentally not true. Go eat some chips, monster. Go eat some <laughs> chips. So 
anyway, I feel like it's 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 a good opportunity. Everyone can notice where are you where are you stuck. Mm-hmm. It's cool, um, and not to put a linear process on it, but um, what helps you move through that? What helps you get unstuck? Mm-hmm. So for folks like me who read this book, loved it, and want more, are there other books that you recommend um, to keep this practice going? Yes, I do. (laughs) Um, There is an anthology that I think we should all read and discuss. It's called Rebellious Morning, The Collective Work of Grief, edited by Cindy Milstein. Um, Benji Hart has a piece in it. Go, Benji. Um, There's also a book called Radical Dharma, um, and that one is edited by um, Angel Kyoto Williams. Um, If you can find it, there's a book called Medicine Stories by Aurora Levins Morales. Um, This one is especially important um, if you are thinking about healing justice and the healing justice movement and um, interested in the idea of historians as healers. Um, and then, of course, I've got to plug everyone. Let's all read and discuss Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown. Um, there's just so many good ideas in it to practice um, and explore. Mm, thank you. Tanisha, you're incredible. You're like, I'm just thinking about how you personally have been there for me in some of my hardest moments in my life. Um, With Sage Community Health Collective, like I had lost a friend as well, and and that space was just there for me, along with Mercedes Gonzalez, who used to work there. Um, And, and just in, in, in current times, like you're just, you're just, you're just there, and and I and I and can, you just consistently show up in the capacities that you are comfortable in, <laughs> and and I so appreciate that. And um, thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Um, I feel like I finally understand visionary fiction, and I feel like I finally am like I'm I'm officially officially bought into Octavia's work, and like Woo! I'm just ready to like dive in. So. Thank you so much. Such an um, honor. Such an honor. <laughs> so to close us out, I'm going to have you pick out one of your favorite passages. Again, um, this was edited by Adrienne Marie Brown and Walida Marisha, and it's called Octavia's Brood, Science Fiction Stories from Social Justice Movements, and it's published by AK Press. Um, thank you again, and if you want to close us out, that'd be great. Totally. Um, so this is from Tanana Reeve Dew's The Only Lasting Truth essay. Um, and it reads, um, Earth seed calls for a change in the way we view ourselves, our world, and our God. Um, and this is from Lauren Olamina. God is power, infinite, irresistible, inexorable, indifferent. And yet, God is pliable. Trickster, teacher, chaos, clay. God exists to be shaped. God is change. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Lit Review, a podcast where we interview people we love and respect about books for the movement. We are your co-hosts, Monica Trinidad and Paige May, two Chicago-based organizers. Special shout out to The Lit Review's very own sponsor, the Arcus Center for Social Justice Leadership out of Kalamazoo College. Keep your eyes and ears open for another episode next Monday, same time, same place. Want to hear about a specific book? Email us at thelitreviewchicago at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. And if you like this episode, give it a shout out on Twitter or Instagram. Our handle is at LitReviewShy. Keep reading!